Good morning and welcome in to the Sunday Recap. This is Chris McLaughlin here with Mitch Green. Dude's Day! (laughs) Dude's Day on the podcast! Ariel is off getting ready for the Women's Women's Christmas Christmas Brunch. Banquets. 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 Yes. (laughs) Um, And uh, she's going to be speaking at that uh, this coming Saturday, so she's off uh, preparing for that today. I think you can still sign up for that, right? You can. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. You can and you should. You should, yeah. Uh, If you're a woman. Yeah. <laughs> Stonescrossing.com slash events. You can find it on there. Uh, register for that today. That's coming up this Saturday. Um, so pretty exciting. Should be should be a good time. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, Mitch, how are you doing, man? Dude, doing good, man. Yeah? Yeah. Kid got tubes yesterday. Oh, yeah. 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 The, you know, you, you get all nervous for this, this procedure, and then it's like, 12 minutes long. <laughs> right. <laughs> so like, well, the procedure isn't the, the hard part. It's really the anesthesia yeah. with a, with a, with a kid that young. Oh, and, yeah, I know. yeah. Yeah. A little scary. Hard. Yeah. But literally by the time I went and found hot water to heat up a bottle for him, yeah. they're like, all right, head back. And yeah. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> totally. that worked out really well. So yeah, we had that. JC was sick this weekend. Probably not going to be a Thanksgiving that ranks at the top. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Spent the morning in the ER because Graham wasn't doing right. well. She then started throwing up that night. Oh, it was oh, just. I stayed yeah. healthy so yeah. far. Yeah. <laughs> so. Here we are in a closed room together. Yeah, yeah here we Thanks, are. Thanks, Mitch. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> At least you don't have your space heater on. I think that thing just breathes the germs around this room. That's true. It is cold in here. It today. is actually yeah. very cold. But that's all right. Yeah, uh, we apologize too not having a podcast last week. Um, I was on vacation and uh, it was just kind of a down week. Every, it was kind of like everybody was gone. Yeah, last I week, took so. I took Tuesday on off. Yeah, yeah, it's just you know life happens sometimes. Yeah. People, yeah, is that the have we missed one before that? I think we, that's we, our we've, second. Yeah, one. Yeah, we've missed another one, but two, two in a year and a half. Yeah, not that's, almost almost two years actually. March yeah. March will be two years that we've been doing this podcast. Can you yeah. believe that? That's insane. That's crazy. <laughs> what what once was an idea became a podcast. Yeah, became a, and a most, weekly rhythm. And every week we get recordings. Some weeks there's some good thoughts in there. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I know. Well, it, and for you listeners, thanks for sticking with us yes. through all this. I, I, I really hope this has been beneficial to you to come back and talk about all this. I personally have really enjoyed being able to sit down here with Mitch and Ariel and then all the other people that we've had in here week after week. And just talking about theology and and how the rubber really meets the road. Yeah, it, it, um, when it makes the sermon something that I think it's more intended to be than just like, mm-hmm. you know, we we consume so much like media, yeah, so much information that sermons in today's world you watch them once and you may never talk about them again. Yeah, and so at least it gives us a place that we talk come, about come it, come back to it, you know, and on weeks where we don't get to see it, it makes us listen, Yeah, you know, like sometimes in ministry, you don't, you don't get in there every morning. Yeah. So yeah, I've enjoyed it for me. Yeah. It helps me engage with the sermon. Absolutely. Well, this week we're going to be jumping into the last sermon in the series called Counterculture. This is called The Power of God's Word, dealing with 2 Peter chapter 1, really looking at the Bible um, and why the Bible um, really is such a countercultural thing. Yeah. Uh, we're going we're gonna to dig into that. Um, before we actually look at the text and, and, and dig into this, I, Mitch, I wanted to ask you a question because I know that you are currently away. you are currently reading a couple books dealing with how the Lots gospel interacts with culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... Um, that is a really interesting topic because we don't yeah. we don't delve into that a ton. Um, 
but maybe we should uh, in some ways. I, I, I guess what I want to ask you, we'll kind of set this up. Um, how should a Christian interact with culture? Like how should a Christian um, should a Christian be seeking to actively be changing culture? Should a Christian, or or how does a Christian do that if if they're supposed to be doing that? What what are yeah. your some of your thoughts around that? It's the big question. <laughs> yeah. So no, so I, I, first I'll kind of like I, I just 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 shout out on some of the things I've been reading and how they got in my hands, which yeah. is kind of cool. So I've been reading through this book. You know, some of you have probably seen me post about it here and then called Center Church by um, Tim Keller. Mm where it's really just a model for how the church can engage um, primarily in the city, right. like the larger cities of the world, but even more than that, um, how should the church be engaging in the context it finds itself in? Yeah, um, Phenomenal book. It's a textbook though. So like yeah. for those who order it, it literally is a textbook. It's got a hard cover. Yeah. It's not a hard read, but it's a textbook. You should probably cover it with a paper bag. Yeah. 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 Oh, for yeah. Those of you guys remember that. Those things, the, <laughs> oh, I, see, I was the era of the, like the stretchy ones. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those no, that were was after really cool. Yeah. We didn't do the paper <laughs> ones. Those are on their way out. I remember yeah. them, but we didn't do them. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, so I'm reading this book and then also in our student ministry, we're just spending an entire year in the teachings of Jesus. And mm. the series we just came out of was, um, called Jesus and culture. Yeah. So I'm doing this series and then Dalton Cox, who used to be our communications director, right. he says, Hey, one of my favorite books in college was this book by Rich Richard Niebuhr called uh, Christ and culture. Mm -hmm. He goes, you should read it while you're doing this series. Okay. So I start reading this book called Christ and culture by Richard Niebuhr, which I'll give you a little background on what that is. That is like an overview of the different models that churches have taken to engage in culture. Okay. Uh, the book's written in 1951, but goodness, it's like it was written yesterday. Super relevant. Yeah. Unbelievably relevant, yeah. which should give us like I don't know if hope's the right word, but it makes us go like, I think all, a lot of the problems we're in, I'm like, this is the first time the world's ever facing right. these things. Well, I, I think what it tells us is that the world actually ha does not change very much. Yes. Like absolutely. We're, we're all still people and people have the same problems and yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, okay. So, so you got this Tim Keller book that, that I've been reading for couple months now, just kind of every once in a while coming back to it. Yeah. Then Dalton gives me this Christ and culture book, which gives this framework of how we engage in culture. Then there's another voice, Leslie Newbegin, who uh -huh. is, everybody's quoting this guy right now because mm. everybody's trying to figure out how is the church supposed to get, engage in culture. Leslie Newbegin was a missionary, but he wrote a lot about like how the gospel is supposed to exist in a pluralistic society okay. and how to minister to the West. Okay. Um, he, I don't know exactly when he died, but I think his books came out in like the eighties, mm -hmm. like late eighties, early nineties was kind of when his, like his writing got more popular. Okay. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's another, so Leslie Newbegin, and then maybe you've heard me say a little bit about the voice Mark Sayers, so oh, Mark sure. Sayers uh, wrote a book called The Disappearing Church mm -hmm. that kind of talks about why the church is not engaging in the culture that it finds itself in. Right. So, all right, there's these are all the voices that anything I say, it probably <laughs> comes from like Something one of those guys. Yeah. So then Keller has also kind of just, this is where you like, you just feel like God's at work a little bit in some of this, but I'm not going to try to pretend I know how. Yeah. Like, so Dalton gives me this book. I'm listening to Mark Sayers talk about Leslie Newbigin all the time. Mm -hmm. And then I find myself in these chapters this week as we're in the middle of the series where Tim Keller is talking about how we engage in culture, literally quoting the work of Leslie Newbigin yeah. and Richard Niebuhr to give his entire framework. It's yeah. the two guys he quotes the whole time. Yeah. So it's just kind of crazy to see all this kind of like circle, circle around. Okay. Now that you have the voices, I'll actually answer your question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
it, it, Christians should have an active role in culture. Right. I think, I think that's the starting point. Like your question was, uh, how do we engage in culture? Yeah. Or should we, or should we, yeah. um, I think that we should, because we find ourselves in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. And the gospel is a message that, um, should be spread, should be told to those who are, um, outside the church, you know, because it, it speaks, it speaks for them. Um, thinking about the great commission message of Jesus that he sent us out into the world, um, into our surrounding context, um, as we go to spread the gospel message. Right. Um, so there is some active engagement we must have with culture. Right. Um, the tension is that culture doesn't agree with everything that we think to be a part of the Christian worldview. Right. In fact, it doesn't agree with most things. Yeah. So how do you actively be involved in the context you found yourself in, which I would kind of define that as the culture. Culture could mean a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Culture could mm-hmm. be like, um, how does American culture exist different from European culture sure, sure, um, or sure. African culture? It could be that. Sure. It could also just mean, which I think is the more accurate definition, um, everything that's outside the church <laughs> that like you, that's probably not the best way to say it, but cause we're part of it. Too. Yeah. We're like what's out. Like the church is in the midst of culture, yeah. but it's also separate from culture. Yeah. And the question is how do we engage within those two tensions? Yeah. Um, so there are some things where I think we should take a stand against culture. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are some things where we should actively um, kind of identify that there's this, maybe there's this moral good that's out of God's common grace that we can appeal to in culture. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's the desire for healing. It's the desire for normalcy in the midst of COVID. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think we should always be at work as believers at understanding how we can engage um, the people around us with the gospel message in the context we find ourselves in, but also at the same time, understand where we're going to differ from culture and what does that look like? It should look different um, given what's going on in the culture we find ourselves in, which I think is why it's such a hard spot where we're at right now, Mm. because we've seen a little bit of a cultural shift, Um, a shift that's probably been going on for 10 years. But we're seeing um, probably longer. Yeah, longer than that. Yeah, shifts take longer than that. People have been writing about it for ten years. Let's say that. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's this kind of shift towards a more pluralistic society. Um, well, the, yeah. So a lot of yeah, this, go into it. A lot of this actually stems back to the 1960s. Yeah. So, so if you go back to the 1960s, you see a dramatic shift in American culture where we're moving more towards this pluralism, relativism, uh, all that sort of stuff, which is Scott even brought up relativism mm-hmm. and things like that. It's so much so that we're even seeing that, uh, those ideals kind of infiltrate the church in a lot of ways. So for example, like he brought up the Thomas Jefferson Bible yeah. this, this week, which I thought mm-hmm. was interesting. There's a, a relativist, very humanistic stance towards religion. Right. Yeah. But in the 1980s, there was a, um, and you guys can, should look this up. I, th- I think it's just fascinating. But there was a group of, of uh, theologians who got together and did the exact same mm-hmm. thing. They were called the Jesus Seminar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Jesus Seminar was was fascinating because what they did was they went through the, the Gospels in particular, and they were trying to figure out what exactly was true and what yeah. wasn't. And they wrote basically their own version of the Bible mm-hmm. that uh, color-coded all of the yeah. things were said, like, if it, if it's red, then that's something that Jesus actually did or said. If it's pink, maybe he did it. If it's gray, then he probably didn't do it. And if it's black, it's like, he definitely didn't do it. Yeah. Right. But they were approaching it from this position of like popular vote. What did yeah. Jesus actually do? With but, the goal but, to humanize him. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and that, and that's the whole thing. It's, 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 it's taking 
God's word, which we're going to get into this, but it's taking yeah. God's word and viewing it through the lens that we are actually the authority over it. Yeah. At, mm-hmm. Ultimately at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, now what I think is interesting about culture, yep. get, kind of getting back to what you're saying is when you talk about, about uh, being counterculture as a Christian, ultimately the countercultural idea stems from where is our authority? Yes. And, th- and that's yeah. what I was going to say. So, so the shift that I think we're experiencing a little bit yeah. was, and I, th- I actually kind of spoke on this randomly a spring or two ago. I, I put a diagram up there, um, put, put out by Barna, but how many people in America identify as Christian or not Christian and right. kind of talking about, are we in a post-Christian exactly. culture? Were we ever a Christian culture? Kind of raising those questions. Yeah. Um, I remember I was in your office, like wrestling with you, like what is the right language for this like what's the right answer but uh, we've seen and then physically wrestling yeah and then we, yeah, and then we physically wrestled <laughs> yeah. and decided who was gonna get to have the and right I, answer i lost yeah <laughs> I, I don't know it was a good battle <laughs> came down to scoring he didn't get pinned against your curious all right but so so we so the shift though is this kind of shift i've kind of lost my thought but I'll, I'll come back to it after that whole thing about the wrestling battle um Okay, so there's there's this shift that's happened in our thinking from um, in the way we engage with culture where we once existed in a society where um, Christians, what we believed morally was yeah. aligned with what culture thought. Mm-hmm. Um, you used to be able to ask people, you know, what did they think uh, was the definition of marriage? Right. Um, and they would agree with you. Yeah. And now that's not where we find ourselves. Yeah. Um, so now what's happening is our tactic for how we engage in culture can't look like what it once did. Right. And now it has to look different, which is the great debate of how do Christians engage in culture. But I think the most important thing, and this is why I think it's so important, Scott highlighted this yesterday, is what is our um, primary authority? Yes. And I think any of you <laughs> yeah. should argue it's scripture. Yeah. Like that should be the starting point yeah. of what is our any, authority and how we, yeah, any Christian view yeah. um, and how we engage in culture should begin with a high, high view of scripture. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and how we treat scripture to engage in culture. So this is what I think is, is so interesting about this, the countercultural idea is because when we look at where the world is going, um, a, apart from the church, like looking at the secular world, the authority there is always people. Right, mm-hmm. it's always you no know, like we're all that there is. Um, therefore, we determine what is. Mm-hmm. Let's take ethics. We determine what's morally right and wrong. Yeah, um, we're the we're the determiners of what um, what truth is, what what justice is, what yeah. righteousness is. We're you know we determine all of those things, and then as those things, um, you know, and especially from the 1960s. What people began to to hypothesize is that those things must be relative because they're relative yeah. to individual cultures, like yeah. individual places, and they're relative to time. Uh, mm-hmm. So, like the you know things that may have been morally acceptable at yeah. one point are no longer morally acceptable at another time, mm-hmm. right? Things like that. And so, all this being said, is that I think the Christian worldview comes back to actually. We have to shed this idea that um, that people are the authority mm-hmm. over things, and we have to come back to this to the to the to the truth that the scriptures are actually our authority yeah. over things. Which means actually that number one, we don't have the ability to change it or to relativize mm-hmm. it, and and secondly, that it doesn't ever change. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, 
you know, it, with time and with culture that there are absolute truths yeah. that are that are true for every culture and every time. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not something that our culture wants no, to not anymore. swallow. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, and like you said, it's it's been it's now it's kind of taken for more the like psychological, how do you feel about it approach. It once was the rational approach, like, oh, this doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. This doesn't line up with science. That's not really what the discussion is anymore. Yeah. But I think, Chris, before we, you know, get into the passage, you said something that I think is really important for us all to think about. Like this should be like what's oh, in did. the back of our heads. Is I, this, I got one this week. You did. Dude. That was no. awesome. So wow. <laughs> the, the, I, the, the thought that we need to recognize is what uh, presuppositions do we have when we think about how the church is supposed to engage in culture mm-hmm. as we read the scripture um, and where did those come from? Yeah. Um, and it's going to be different for all of us because we've all lived in different eras. We lived in different um, decades of the church. And so we have some of us who have been more formatted by an era of the church where church aligned with culture. Um, you're going to fight for different tensions than yeah. maybe a 13 year old would today. Yeah. Um, because they've never existed in that world. Right. And so we need to just recognize where do those things come from? Um, and, and also understand that they're going to shift over time, mm-hmm. um, if we're being, if we're recognizing that there's a shift going on in culture, mm-hmm. um, the way that we're going to talk to believers in, you know, the 1800s and today is going to look very different. Right. But if you're going back to like, well, in 1970, this is what our church was about, and it needs to be the exact same way today. There's some healthy aspects to that question, mm-hmm. but there's also some part of it where we should recognize that there is a cultural shift going on. Yes. So we need to engage differently. But your the way you're approaching it as an individual is going to be largely driven by um, the experiences you've had in your life, the teaching you sat under, the way you've engaged with it in the past. But what needs to, what you need to do is to address the current context yeah. and how does scripture engage with it? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you're exactly right there. It, but we need, we need to make a very clear distinction. Biblical truth is not going to change. No. Culture changes. And the individual who is presenting the biblical truth to culture can be different, yeah. have different giftings, yeah. different strengths, different emphases, mm-hmm. right? So what we need to do as, as, as Christians in culture and when we're, when we're looking to change things yeah. is, first of all, know the biblical truth. Yeah, absolutely. Number one, mm-hmm. that never changes. Know ourselves as yeah. well. Know what our strengths are and then also know the culture so that then we can – combine all of, like, yeah. that's what you're saying, right? Like, so Absolutely, we, no, no, no. So you're you're com- describing the, the chapter that I just read oh, okay, in yeah. this book. So but you combine yeah. all three things Absolutely. and put it together. Yeah. And you understand how you engage with those things and you need to recognize what the other individual's doing. Yes. That they may be operating out of giftings that are different than yours and that may be how God's working in this age and that's that's okay. Yeah. But is if it misaligns with the biblical truth, yeah. then there's a problem, yeah. which is why scripture needs to be our primary authority That's right. in all of this. It has to be something outside of us. That's right. That's why I think Second uh, Peter is such an important book. Uh, actually, uh, the, the letter itself is so important. Peter is writing in this, in this letter to a culture who is, they are experiencing persecution for their faith, okay? Um, in fact, when you get to the last chapter of Second Peter, 
Um, in chapter three, he's talking, this is actually so funny. So he's talking about this issue that, the, that these people are experiencing where people are coming up to them, non-Christians are coming up to the Christians and they're saying like, where is your Jesus, man? Like he's, he said he was coming back, but he's not here. Where is he? And uh, if we turn over there, this is so good because this is, this is how Peter responds. Um, verse four. He says, they will say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation, right? So this is their, mm-hmm. this is their complaint to the Christians. Five, uh, for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, right? Mm-hmm. So he's talking about creation and that by uh, means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. So there's Noah's Ark. Right, but by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until mm-hmm. the day of judgment and destruction for the ungodly. So he's like, "Look, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming." Right, verse eight. <laughs> this is so good. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That when the Lord, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years; a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So, in other words. He's like, look, someone comes up to you and says, like, where's your Jesus? Why doesn't he come back yet? He's like, well, he's being patient with you <laughs> because you haven't repented yet. So yeah. don't worry. You, you, you go ahead and repent. Mm-hmm. Jesus is coming. <laughs> like, yeah. like, that's Peter's answer, which I love because it's like, it's like a, there's a truth. There's a truth yeah. to this. Judgment is coming. Jesus is coming back. Uh, the culture is going to pocket that, obviously. Yeah, but. and and, and what, I, what I love about this this response, too, is its appeal to the biblical narrative. Mm-hmm. It's, it's understanding how God has worked um, in the world in the context of Scripture yeah. um, in a present situation, not present for us, and describing that, hey, Still relevant we're, we're holding us, right? to the biblical yeah. truth yeah. Uh, regardless of what the response is yeah. or even what their thought was. Right. You know, I've had a lot of conversations about this is what I think should happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, those should most of the time be held with a, like, that's not necessarily in the Bible, <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And I think this is one of those where there's a response that says it's an appeal to, to scripture um, in response for a, um, you could say, an attack of culture. That's right. Which is why I think Peter starts with Scripture mm-hmm. as being the authority. Um, he begins the letter by saying, I want to go back to verse 12, actually, in chapter 1, because you know he begins by telling them about this amazing blessing that God has given us. And then in verse 12, he says, I always intend to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Right, So we mm-hmm. know he's talking to Christians. They know this stuff. He says, I think it is right as long as I'm in the, this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. He knows he's going to die soon, uh, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. Listen to this, verse 15. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you'll, you may be able at any time to recall these things. And I'm like, what is he talking about there? You know what he's talking about? I think he's talking about the gospel of Mark. Now, this is a really interesting thing. So what, basically what he's saying is like, I want to make sure that you have a way to come back to these teachings, yeah. right? And so what we know is that later on, Peter, uh, so Peter was living in Rome. Mm-hmm. He had a uh, an apprentice with him named John Mark. Mm-hmm. And John Mark, uh, according to church Very tradition, cool. was the person who wrote down the gospel with Peter's instruction. Very cool. Right? And so here, this is probably talking about Peter's, Peter 
writing the gospel of Mark mm -hmm. uh, through Mark, through John yeah. Mark. So super cool. So, so he's like, we need this. We, we need to be reminded of the, the teachings of Christ. Then he says, verse 16, this gets into our passage. For we, the apostles, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths mm -hmm. when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when uh, he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Now this is Mitch, pop quiz, talking about what event? Jesus' baptism. Is that yeah. what you're asking me? It's not the baptism. Oh, sorry, I was looking at a text <laughs> with you when you said that. <laughs> All right, let me look at it again. For when we received honor and glory to God, the Father, the voice was born to him, but the majestic glory, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Uh -huh. uh, we ourselves heard the very voice from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Yeah. Uh, I was going to go baptism at first, but I'm going to go with this is going to be the crucifixion scene. No. What is it then, no, Chris? No, no. This is the transfiguration. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. This is, yeah, this, okay. So we're talking is, like the, the end. This the is end the only the other time when you have God the Father saying this, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And he says, we were on the holy mountain. In other words, he's saying, look, um, we saw Jesus be transfigured into his glorified state before our eyes. Mm. We know that this is true. This is not like some crazy thing that we're just like making up, but we saw it. Right. Okay. And, and, and this is what is, is, is cool is then, then he goes back to the old Testament. It's like all of this was talked about. We know that this is, so he says, and we have the prophetic word. Yeah. He's talking about the old Testament. The prophetic word was more fully confirmed because they saw it right mm -hmm. to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. So he's talking about the day, he's talking about the end, like when Christ returns, right? Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, and so verses 20 and 21 at the end there um, really gives us a doctrine of scripture, a picture of a, of a doctrine of scripture or a bit of it that helps us to understand what exactly is going on in scripture. But all that being said, uh, Peter's whole point is, look, like yeah. at the end of the day, uh, the word of God is true. And it is the thing that we have to then stand upon because it has mm -hmm. been confirmed by the person and work of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So I think, I think Chris, we, we should answer that, that question of what is the doctrine of scripture that's being represented right. here. Absolutely. So the first thing that, uh, so I, I usually talk about this passage yeah. in my apologetics class, because mm -hmm. this is, this is big stuff, but verse 21 says this idea where it says how men spoke from God as they mm -hmm. were carried along by the Holy spirit. The word there in Greek for carried along is this word that's, it's also used in the book of acts for wind filling a sail. Mm -hmm. This is fascinating. Yeah. So, so if you think about like the spirit filling a person, carrying them along, like moving them mm -hmm. to, to do a certain thing, right? But, it, but I think what Scott said on Sunday is so true that it's not like dictation, right? Yeah. Um, it's, not, it's not where they are, um, you know, God's like, now write blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, 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 or they go into some sort of a trance. Yeah. Okay, it's not like that. These people grew up in a in in circumstances where they were given afforded the ability to read and write yeah um 
that's all part of God's providence towards mm-hmm. them writing scripture. Um, they were given a certain context in their culture. They were given certain education. They were given mm-hmm. certain backgrounds. God set all this up so that when they sat down to write these things, that the very words that they wrote down are the very words that God wanted them mm-hmm. to write. Right. Um, and so it's not, we have to, it, 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 technically it's called verbal plenary inspiration, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not, it's not um, like this divine dictation type of, yeah. type of a thing, which is, I think is important to understand. But yeah. Um, but so there's, there's that, that idea, but then the other thing too is, um, verse 20, I think is key because it says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Mm-hmm. In other words, the prophets, when they wrote stuff down, and that includes everything from Moses who wrote Genesis to, mm-hmm. to uh, Deuteronomy, right? Uh, and all the way through the minor prophets, that includes the entire old Testament that when they wrote these things down, this is not them just like making stuff up. That's what he's saying. He's like, this is not them just trying to interpret what's going on in the world, Mm -hmm. trying to, you know, define the signs that they see or things Mm -hmm. like that. That's not what's going on. He's saying, no, God is at work in Mm -hmm. the midst of this. Yeah. And so that, what that means is Peter's understanding of scripture um, and scripture's understanding of scripture is that it is the, it is actually the very word of God. Mm -hmm. Like, like, you can't stress that enough. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's the very word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and a good book on that, uh, Words of Life, right? Yes, uh, it's a phenomenal book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Timothy Ward. Timothy Ward. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great book. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think Chris, again, that that helps put the framework why, why scripture should be our primary authority, mm-hmm. um, what its authority is established in, um, not necessarily just that it's old, <laughs> yeah. you know, well, but, and, and like, like Wayne Grudem, he puts it this way. It's like, like, like th- we have to understand the authority of God's word in such a way that if we, if we disbelieve or disobey God's word, we are disbelieving or disobeying God yeah. himself. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's that one-to-one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think again, so as we're, as we're in this conversation about how do we relate to culture, um, this is where it's important to think about, um, the voices that you listen to, um, even the way that you engage yourself, what is their understanding of scripture? Um, Mm -hmm. because believe it or not, it's not going to be consistent across all Christian leaders, um, and how they understand what the Bible is. Absolutely. Um, and then that will affect how they use the Bible in their teaching, um, and what sources they're drawing upon. So, um, it's also, there's another question we should ask. So again, how does it affect the voices that we listen to? But then also, um, how are we, using the Bible when we're taking in teaching, <laughs> you know, yeah. are we treating the Bible as the authority or the messenger, <laughs> you right. know, whoever's presenting the, you know, conversation, the talk, the sermon, right. um, how are we engaging with scripture? Are we turning back to scripture or are we just turning to their thoughts and ideas? That's a great point of application, I mm-hmm. think, because what that means is wherever we are, and I, I'm, I'm going to include us yeah. in this oh, as yeah. well. Absolutely. That, there is a level of deconstruction that yeah. we have to do of our own worldview. There, there, you know what I mean? Like there, yeah. there's a level where we have, we have believed things that the culture has taught us that then yes. are against God's word. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's because we're fallen. Our, our yeah. brains are messed up. Okay. So <laughs> it's just, well, and they're deeply, they're deeply ingrained in us yeah. things, things. So, yeah. you know, like, like that is, that is what we need to recognize that if there were errors of the church where there were people that were defending slavery 
even using scripture sure. that we're Christians, sure. Great then example. we're not above, <laughs> you yeah. know, to do something that is similar in our own work, our own interpretation, our own application. That's right. So, so I think the process of this begins with humility. Oh yeah. It begins by coming to a place of saying, you know what? I'm not the authority. Mm-hmm. I'm not the arbiter of what is like Scott said this, like I'm not the arbiter of what is right and wrong, what mm-hmm. is true and not true. I'm not the arbiter of whether or not scripture is right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's recognizing that in the state of sin that we live in, in our fallenness and brokenness, that there's this thing called the, um, the noetic effects of mm-hmm. sin. In other words, our minds are fallen yeah. and we don't have the capacity to fully understand mm-hmm. these things. So, so what we need to do is recognize that. And in humility, we, we come to the word saying this being the very word of God then is uh, infallible, right? Yeah. And, and, and so we can trust it. We can trust it more than we can trust ourselves. Yeah. So I don't. I don't think this is our primary audience, but I'm just going to go here for a little rabbit trail. Yeah. You. You use the word. You said we should deconstruct, which deconstruction is a massive buzzword. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. In the church Sorry, right now. Guys. No, but and I don't think our <laughs> primary audience is people that's probably finding themselves in a place of deconstruction. Yeah. But I do think for those who are not in that place. It is healthy to recognize that there are things um, that you should be deconstructing about the way that you see the world. Mm-hmm. Um, things that have spoken into you since you were born um, that affect the way that you, the lens that, that you go in when you're reading scripture yeah. that you might have to work against. Um, there are there are 100% aspects of those that find themselves in the deconstruction movement yeah. that they don't see scripture as an authority. Let me say that right. from, from the starting true. point. That's true. But um, there are others that have recognized things that they've seen um, in the church in their lifetime that they go, that doesn't align with the biblical teaching. Yeah. And they're trying to work to understand what would healthy engagement look like mm-hmm. with the scripture in the context of the church because they found themselves in systems that aren't working. And, and I go... Um, how can we blame them mm-hmm. when we look at, you know, the fall of different church leaders, different organizations? Again, I'm 31 years old. I grew up in an era where the goal was to build the biggest, largest church and church looked like a business. And, right. you know, as somebody who was leaning towards ministry, you idolize these leaders and then you watch them fall. Um, you're going to have to reconstruct your understanding of the church. Right. Um, and so there's an element of that. Yeah. That is healthy as long as it's done within the context of scripture being your primary authority. Right. Um, so for those of us that we may not put ourselves in that camp and we go, oh, look at all those who are, deconst- you know, oh, like he's, you know, deconstructing his faith over there. Like, oh my gosh, he's, he's completely walked away. Mm-hmm. There might be an appeal to that individual that says, hey, I recognize the fallenness in the way that we've led church in our lifetime. Yeah. I recognize the brokenness in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, I recognize and I mourn this, the sex scandals that we've seen. Yeah. Um, but I do believe that there's hope. And I do believe that um, if we center ourselves back on the word of God um, and not individuals, mm-hmm. that there is a faithfully walking this that exists within the context of the church. Absolutely. They need that message from you. Uh, you need to model what deconstruction looks like. Yeah. You need to not necessarily just look at those that find themselves in that place yeah. and say, oh man, they've completely walked away. That's right. Because there's an element of what they're doing 
that maybe would be healthy for some of us to do sometimes with the things that we believe. Absolutely. And I think, I think it's a good thing for us to, to constantly be in a state of isn't like humility yeah. where, where we're, where we're asking We would say reforming. I, 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 that's what not, it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah reforming would be the, yeah. what I would say is probably the better word. And I'm not just saying that from like the reform position, but I kind of am like, we should be reforming towards what scripture says constantly. That's right. So, so when you go back in history, I mean, this yeah. is where you're getting it from. Yeah, absolutely. When, when you go back in history, I didn't history, come up with that. The, the Protestant reformation had a catchphrase that mm-hmm. was called sem- in Latin, semper reformanda, yeah. which means always reforming. And the idea with it was that we are not that we're changing the church to match culture. It, the idea with it was we needed to reform the church back mm-hmm. to scripture. Yeah. Right. Like, like the church had gone off the rails and needed to be reformed back to what the Bible said, because the Bible is our authority. Mm-hmm. Like that was, that was the whole con- concept of it. Yep. And so when we're reforming, if we're making it an appeal towards scripture, yeah. Um, trying to understand what scripture says, I go, that is completely healthy. Yeah. If you call that deconstruction and that's what you're doing, I go, that's, that's pretty healthy. Yeah. It's, it's when scripture removes itself from being an authority, which I have seen, um, in the life of teenagers when, you know, when they go to college or time and time again, we see people that they do that. And I'm, I'm not, I did, I'm not saying that's not a thing. Yeah. I'm just saying for those of us that we find ourselves on the other side, you know, there's probably some elements of our faith that we need to recognize that maybe they've been more formed by the culture we found ourselves in than actually what God's word says. That's right. And we need to constantly be going back to God's word, growing in our knowledge of it. Right. Um, and so this, this might be the answer to, uh, or an answer to one of the biggest questions that I think our listeners and people in our church face is why do I not love coming back to the Bible? Yeah. Why do, why is it that I, struggle with reading the Bible daily, weekly, whatever, whatever the, the rhythm is. Cause I think, I think at a, at a, at a certain point, um, we probably come to a place where we're like, I don't, I don't need it. Like, I don't need yeah. it. Like I, like I need water, like I need food, like I need air to yeah. breathe. And, and I think part of the reason why we might think that is because functionally we may think yeah. that we're the authority and that it, honestly, yeah. and, and that, and that, and that, yeah, I know enough about it, but you know, it, it's good. And I kind of, I've got some things pegged, you know, pegged down and yeah. figured out. And, but you know, I, I think, I think the main mode, at least for me, the main motivation for going back to scripture on a daily basis is really because I don't know it all. Like I, yeah. and, and, and I, I, I think on my best days, um, I, <laughs> I come to this realization that, um, of how much I need God's word in my life more than more than the air I breathe, because it is going to shape me. It's going to cleanse me and purify me from the things that I've believed in this culture. And it's going to then reestablish me on the firm foundation of God's word uh, to where I, mm-hmm. um, to where I can stand firm in the face of a culture that is, that is, against me. Yeah. And, 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 and operate out of, um, your relationship with Christ through God's word. And so, so for yeah. me, um, this may be like a little bit of a bold, a little bit of a bold hot take, I, I think a mm. little bit, but there's this, like what I just said was not a bold. It hot was take. actually <laughs> was, but, it, but <laughs> this is more of like talking about how I understand it. And then also how it relates to other people. This I, is bold I, hot take moments. So when you said, um, you said something along the lines of, um, people, um, 
functionally operate like they're the authority of their life, yeah. meaning that they don't really need to go back to scripture in the way that they live. Right. That I think is a um, result of living in a context where largely um, what was considered to be Christian morality was the world that we found ourselves in. Yeah. And so people who I think um, operate in that mode, they find themselves now in a place where they just keep going like, I'm so mad at everybody else for for messing up this thing for me where I can just kind of like live the way I wanted to live and agree with everyone. And why can't culture just go back to this right. uh, mode? I, I really think that the healthier posture is when we find ourselves in those situations is to turn back to God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we grow in our knowledge of God, one, it'll humble us. Yeah. It'll make us recognize the ways in which that we've like idolized things in our life, other things that became the authority, yeah. and then operate out of that. But it's it's kind of like, I think think people um, sometimes have came to this spot where they go, I know, like you said, I know what I what I need to know. I know it all. Now we look and go, well, everything else. Well, clearly if what we're doing is not working, so you don't know everything you need to know, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like where's the fruit in your relationships, all those things. And so it's like, I would, I would encourage those people, um, as you said, approach scripture in such a way that it is your life source. Yeah. Um, it's your life source and the circumstances you find yourself in and walk and operate, um, out of that. And I think that's, I think that's where I find myself. Like that's what the process of mm. reforming would be for me yeah. is, um, you know, I can think it, 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 in, as I'm, I'm not old, obviously I say that a lot. I'm young, I recognize that, but almost every two years, it feels like there's something that like, there's some sort of conflict or some sort of tension that I'm wrestling with that God puts on my heart. Mm. And then there's this process that, you know, God takes me on to yeah. kind of gain clarity in that. Yeah. And sometimes I land where I thought I was going to land and other times I land in different places. Yeah. But as I look back through, you know, the last decade of ministry, every one of those things, it's like God's word was foundational in that process Mm -hmm. and things were constantly being, um, illuminated to me through scripture. Yeah. And I, and I, I believe like that is, I mean, the, the primary work of the Holy spirit is, is doing that. But so I, you know, I can, I can go through different issues. I'm not going to list them all out here where it was like, I was really wrestling with this and God's word was able to speak directly to that thing. Right. Um, and I can, if I took, told you the path that I got to his word there, it's almost like, man, that's, that's crazy that yeah. I got to that passage at that time. Cause this person said this and, yeah. and it's like, but, but again, it's, it's a default kind of operating stance as an operating system. If you think about it that way of yeah. saying we're recalibrating ourselves to scripture constantly, yes. Yes. um, constantly saying this is what needs to form us because we know we're being formatted by everything else yeah. um, all day long. Yeah. Now I want to say one more thing, cause we are, we're basically out of time, but, but one more thought on yeah. this is that this process of our own personal reformation, this transformation that God is doing through his word is not possible without us having the Holy Spirit within us. And I, and and I say that to say, um, for, for us, uh, as, as Christians, we can't have the humility to approach Mm -hmm. scripture as the authority without the Holy Spirit's help. So for example, this is first Corinthians chapter two, it says, uh, verse 14, the natural person, in other words, the non-Christian does not accept the th- things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him 
right? Yeah. Uh, he, the, 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 the non-Christian thinks it's foolishness. It says he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Yeah. 15, but the spiritual person, that's the Christian, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one for who has understood mm-hmm. the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Yeah. And so the spirit um, is what enables us to mm-hmm. be able to to not only approach scripture with humility, mm-hmm. but then to be able to understand it rightly. And the spirit is is key in this whole process. So so yeah. I said to say for as Christians, be encouraged because you have the spirit of God that has given you everything you need to sit down and read the scriptures and be humbled that you need it too. Yes. That's what I would say. Yes. It's like it's, that should humble you in, 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 in and of itself totally. to say like, Oh, I need something outside of myself to understand that, to yes. do, to, to, to do this. Yes. But then, and then you should be encouraged that you have the thing you need. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But then I'd say, secondly, also recognize that, what scripture is telling us is that non-believers do not have the spirit and that it says they are not able to understand it. And so we cannot, as Paul says, actually in first Corinthians chapter five, we cannot expect for non-Christians to get on board with us. Yeah. What they need first is the gospel. Yeah. So stop being surprised. Yes. By it. And, and I would say stop beating non-Christians over the head with moral Christian morality. Yeah. But let's love them and share the gospel with them mm-hmm. so that they receive the spirit of God. Because if we really want to change culture, yeah, that's it. That's how it's going to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mic drop. <laughs> okay. Well, we, sh- we we should wrap this up. Uh, but yeah, this was a good conversation. Well, just so everybody knows, we didn't have any we of that had no coming plan. into this. Yeah, that was not that was not where I we was, thought uh, we were going, but we went there. Yeah, I, I I enjoyed this a lot. So, hey guys, thanks so much for listening today. Hopefully, this was helpful for you as well. Um, next week, we're going to be jumping into our Advent series called "All Is Calm." No, wait. Are we doing that next week? Is that next week? Yes. I think so. That's next week. All is calm. That's right. I I got all messed up with the sermon calendar. All is calm. All is bright. Bright. Yeah. (laughs) All is calm. So uh, we're going to do a three-week series for Advent on uh, on this idea of all is calm. So... uh, we're looking forward to that. We'll be here next week to talk about that. Hopefully, and you can tell us too before we get back next week. Is it okay to call a pregnant woman round? Is that the next line? You can tell us on Sunday if you see us round yon. Is it okay to call them round? Let's. Yeah, we'll, we'll put. We're a, gonna. Yeah. We'll, why we'll don't just, you put a poll on Facebook about yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> I got a lot of work to do with my first poll. We'll see if that happens. But okay. if you see us, just let us know. We <laughs> might right. have to change that lyric. Nice. <laughs> hey, have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next time on the Sunday recap. <laughs>